seat and get a copy of God's Word in your hands. And uh, my name is Brian Beamens, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. So excited you've uh, chosen uh, by faith to be here this morning uh, to both celebrate God and to uh, be encouraged by one another. And uh, you know, one of the things uh, we love to do uh, just really regularly in our church is. You know, uh, what's so important to our church is, is that we are a mission-centered church. And uh, our mission, uh, quite simply, um, is just to love God, love others, and make disciples. And um, not just believing right things about Jesus, but we want to be a church that is, uh, is regularly, is committed as disciples of Christ to regularly drawing near to Christ, to, to knowing the work of Christ, to becoming like Christ, and living for Christ. And uh, those are marks of true discipleship and, and things we want to encourage all the time in our church. And uh, we've, we've said again and again, particularly recently, as we've just tried to, as God's led us and we focused our vision down, that um, there are uh, ways that as a church we're trying to lead you to that end and that um, happens in worshiping in services, in living in groups, in training in studies, and in serving on teams. And uh, this morning, before uh, sort of jumping into the sermon, I, I, I want to announce and, and make sure everybody understands where we're going with that train and studies part. And uh, so our staff's asked me to sort of um, announce this and cast some vision for it. Um, train and studies is going to be a core part of, of what we're striving to do as a church to make disciples. And uh, if you understand uh, the way that uh, God rolls out his truth, um, he, he wants us to know and apply some essential truths so that we might not just know them, but we might live them out. So that, watch this, so that we can live into our God-given calling. That's what God's wanting in his formation of disciples. And 1 Timothy 4.7 says, train yourself for godliness. And so, so what's the component? And we've, we've wrestled with this over the years, and I think as our leadership has processed through this, we've been like, man, what's our vehicle for training? And uh, we know this. We know that the training, even as we were planning and praying about this, we knew that our training had to be more systematic. It had to have a little more clarity around it than just sort of like, hey, we're going to do some random classes and some Bible studies. And we, we've all been part of, of, of situations, even at our church, where we've kind of gone at it like that. And... I think we just came face to face with the fact that that wasn't making disciples. And, um, and so it has to go further than what happens in our weekend services when we're communicating and we're gathering, yes, to remember Christ and worship Christ and, 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 and understand and even be taught God's word as we're about to in a few moments. But, but where is the place that we're really going to train? And that's training studies. And so we're going to start um, this as we roll out this fall. We're going to start with three studies that are going to make up what we're going to refer to as the first six. <clears throat> the first six are essential studies to train believers to be disciples. We think these six studies are core and foundational for everything that God calls us to do and to live into as disciples. The first six, um, Holy Rhythms is our uh, title around this idea of spiritual disciplines, and that's going to be a key one, knowing the word. How do I understand God's word? How do I apply it to my life? How do I interpret this book that in some places I'm like, I don't even know? And uh, Theology One, the, the, the theology around God's word and the character of God and how that impacts the way I live. Theology Two, the work of Christ key components of what Christ has accomplished and how we live in the victory of that. Theology three, work of the Holy Spirit. 
How does the Holy Spirit, even today's message, would be a portion of that bigger teaching and that study together? And then the identity in Christ. Who am I? In the midst of so many identity politics in our world, we want to anchor disciples' lives. When they look in the mirror, they're like, I know who I am in Christ, and I'm living out of that. And so uh, these studies will provide a shared foundation, a theological unity, and it's intended to equip us for gospel ministry. And so if you're a new believer, we want you to take these, these studies, walk through them. If you're a seasoned believer, we want you to do that. And our vision is that everyone who's a part of Christ Church over a period of time would, would, would be a part of all six of these foundational studies. And so you got, probably got the question, like, what about other things? After the foundation is set, We'd be happy to prayerfully consider other elective studies, but we're focusing here. Foundation first. We're done going off on all sorts of different areas and not focusing first on the foundations. We want to serve you in that. Uh, studies will be six weeks long. The first three on that list, we're going to launch this fall. They're going to be at different times. And then in the beginning of 2024, we're going to offer them at three different times so that people might be able to take one or more of those. And, um, and so each study is going to have a time of teaching and training, but also engaging discussion and community with one another and prayer. And uh, sign-ups are going to begin at the end of August, I think August 27th, and uh, studies are going to start uh, sometime in October. So if you have questions, please reach out to me, any of our staff people. Uh, Dylan is the oversees our adult discipleship, and we're just excited for what God has in this, and uh, thank you for your patience. I think there's so many things that as the Lord has grown our church, we've had to step back and assess what is going to be the healthiest for our church moving forward, and our vision is that three to five years, everyone would have multiple opportunities to walk through these six studies together, and we believe it's going to strengthen us and help us live out our calling and really be able to say, we're doing everything we can to make disciples, amen? That's our hope and our goal. Please pray for that. And uh, if you got your Bible open, we're going to turn now to John uh, 16. And we've got an important message this morning, so let's, uh, let's pray before we begin. God, thank you for uh, your um, in, in such, just endearing patience and your mercy on us. And um, God, I am so thankful for the timing of even some of the vision around our church and these training studies and uh, the opportunity that that's going to be for our people. And God, our end goal in all of that is that we would understand what it means to, to be disciples and that we would be trained to godliness. It'd be a blessing in all aspects of our lives. And God, as we turn now uh, to this message this morning, these parting words, this last sermon of Jesus, would you just lead us and guide us, speak to us, convict us, so that we might live into all that you've called us to in both the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask that you'd lead us this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm increasingly, uh, if you watch the direction that our culture is going, um, our culture is increasingly anti-supernatural. And uh, don't believe in the miraculous, the only trust what you can see and what you can know. And, and if there's any focus on sort of spirituality, it, it tends to go in the direction of like, find your ideal self 
And we spiritualize that in the message of the world. And any focus on the spiritual world is kind of twisted to be about some sort of spark or light within the individual person. And just this idea like let that light out and uh, live out of your authentic self is the language that's all over in our culture. Can, can, we, can we just be honest for a moment? Like they, they love to steal biblical language. The world's incredibly good at that, but that is not biblical discipleship. It's not the way of Jesus. If you step back and you see clearly and you can discern the times and the messages that are coming your way, all of these expressions of spirituality tend to be different expressions of self-worship. That's what's under the surface. Biblical spirituality is is not a submission, as Chris was talking about, uh, not a submission to sort of an undefined sort of spiritual presence or sense. And it's certainly not something that is like a light within me that needs to come out. Biblical spirituality, discipleship, is a submission to a God revealed in three persons, amen? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, And today's passage is going to challenge us to consider the important role of the Holy Spirit in our life as Christ's disciples. Earlier in this series, I preached a message in John 14, and the the topic that Jesus was, was, was bringing and communicating was about the role of the Holy Spirit. Just last week, those of you that were here, talking about how to respond to the hatred that comes from the world. And then Jesus gets to this point and he's like, Holy Spirit, role of the Holy Spirit. And again this week, in this message, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. It's clearly a priority. Pick up with me in, uh, in John 16. Let's see it. John 16, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 4, second half of that verse starts with, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In all three passages that we've covered in the past and today, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. As the helper. And if the Holy Spirit is a helper, then then just start with this confession to God all the time. Spirit, help me. Spirit, help me. Lead me, guide me, correct me, convict me. Whatever you need to do, just lead me, help me. See, we can't deny the importance of the Holy Spirit, but too often the Holy Spirit's gotten forgotten. 
It's as if the fact that it goes Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we somehow forget about what comes after the and, that last part, the last person. But we've got to lean in to understand. We've got to lean in because we desperately need the help of God's Spirit. We can't downplay the work of the Holy Spirit. Instead, what we need to do is we need to learn to treasure the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the big move this morning. Treasure the work of the Holy Spirit. When you treasure the work of the Holy Spirit, what happens is, is you recognize that the Holy Spirit, when you understand the power of the Spirit, it has an upside. In addition, as this passage continues, it points you to the work of the Holy Spirit outside of you in the world that's outside. And at the end, it talks about inside the work of the Holy Spirit in your own heart and life. That's inside. So it's upside, outside, inside. These three elements are what it means to treasure the work of the Holy Spirit. First, this, upside, testify to the power of the Spirit. When you understand and when you begin to experience glimpses even of the power of the Holy Spirit, you recognize the work of the Holy Spirit and you treasure it. It, it, Jesus is talking to his disciples here about, about the reality of him going away and he comments on their sorrow in verse six as we read. But then just, just look again at, at verse seven. In light of that sorrow, he's not like, oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, nevertheless, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He's like, um, announcing, I'm about to have a drop a truth bomb on you. Like, pay attention. Turn your ears to this statement I'm about to make. It is to your advantage, so you need to underline that, that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. That is shocking to them. It is, in, it is contradictory to the sorrow they're feeling for the reality that Jesus is going to go away. And so, like, how is that possible? And he says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's possible that it's to their advantage because in leaving, Jesus is going to do more apart from them than he could beside them. That's the reality of this. And, and it's, it's moments like this in the scriptures when I just, there's something inside of my soul that goes, I want everything that's to my advantage regarding the Holy Spirit, Right? Like, like, don't shortchange this. I don't want to lack faith or awareness or knowledge that would cause me to press into what the Spirit might have for me and for you. Just recently, I finished J.D. Greer's book, um, a pastor I followed for a long time, great respect for him, a book on the power of the Holy Spirit called Jesus Continued. Notice the, notice the subtitle. Why the Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. Where do you think he stole that subtitle from? He stole it from John 16. And, and, and in the book, he explains the connection. Look at this. Read this with me. Something was so important about the Holy Spirit that Jesus told his disciples it was to their advantage that he go away. If his departure meant the Spirit came, the Spirit's presence inside of them, he said, would be better than himself beside them. That promise still extends to us. In fact, they needed the Spirit's presence so much that Jesus told them not to so much as raise a finger toward the Great Commission until that Spirit had arrived. 
And then J.D. Greer gets really personal. Notice this question he asks. Do you consider your connection to the Holy Spirit so strong and real that you regard his presence in you to be a better advantage than even Jesus himself beside you? That's a great question. Take a moment right now just to, just to consider that and to process that question. What is the reality of this in your life? Like, consider it for yourself. And before we even break that down a bit, can I just for a second, like, before considering the spiritual, do, do we even realize how much power is in the way God created your physical body? I was, I was thinking about this this week, and I found this website called Extreme Tech. It was for sure kind of a weird, odd um, website. And in a 2013 post, they asked this question. How much computing power does it take to model a working human brain? How much power is in our brain that God created? To answer the question, scientists do what scientists do, and they, they ran a simulation with, the, with this famous supercomputer called K-Computer in Japan, fourth largest, fastest supercomputer in the world. In the simulation, well, look at, look at this quote, it took 40 minutes with the combined muscle of 82,944 processors in the K-Computer to get just one second of biological brain processing time. That's just the power in your brain. Like, in, 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 my, in my iPad up here, I think I get like two or three processors. It's not coming close to my brain. I remind my iPad of that all the time. Like, I'm faster than you. And it's just amazing, the potential, just in the power of the, of the human brain that God designed. What then is the potential power if the power of the human brain that God's gifted you with could be combined with the power of the spirit that God says has been indwelling your heart through faith in Christ? Spiritually, apart from faith in Christ, apart from the regenerating work of God's spirit, your heart is cold and dark and dead. The amount of spiritual processing power is zero. I would actually suggest that there's passages that would actually say that because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, that apart from faith in Christ, you got like negative processing power. If you're like, it's really hard to start my mind and heart and life up, it's like true apart from Christ. And, and so we've got to ask the question, how do we take advantage of what Christ has declared was to be to our advantage? First, put your faith in Christ. Stop looking to the left and the right and all the things you can put your faith in. Things within you, things outside of you, things that the world offers you, friendships, relationships, whatever things you can put your faith in, let go of all of that and put all of your eggs in the basket of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and when you've submitted yourself to him, he promises that he will fill you with his spirit. And so for some of you, it's not the filling of the spirit because you've made those commitments. For some of you, it's just asking for a, a fresh filling of the Spirit to, to, to commit to live your life under the influence of that Spirit. In Romans 8, it outlines the fact that part of what it means as a disciple is for us to walk according to the Spirit. That we're listening to what the Spirit's 
taught us in the scriptures and we're listening for the voice of the Spirit as we're going to talk about later. Experience the power of setting your mind not on things of the earth but on things above and find yourself in line with the Spirit to find ways to access the Spirit. And, and out of this power, what God does is when every moment that, that your identity in Christ is secured, that's a work of God's Spirit, that's power. Every time you submit to follow Christ, that's a work of the Spirit to convict and to lead you. Whenever you put to death sinful actions, that's the work of the Spirit. And every moment we even, we even have a sense of who God is and we cry out to him in prayer, work of the Spirit, power. We, we, we hear the witness of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in the word and in prayer and the illumination of that is a work of the Spirit. See the supernatural around you and the power of God. A longing to serve others, the desire to witness and share Christ, power of the Spirit, power of the Spirit. Upside, testify to the power of the Spirit. Be aware of it. So, so now that we've got this idea of the upside, let's look outside and then inside. First, outside. Trust the Spirit to convict the world. Trust the Spirit to convict the world. Some of you need this passage that starts in, in verse 8 and extends through verse 11. All Christ followers need to know this. We need to remember it. It needs to change the way that we think about evangelism and sharing our faith. Look at the context. Remember the previous passage. Jesus was just talking about the hatred of the world towards Christians in the previous passage. Then in this passage, what he's wanting to teach us is this. You are called to testify, not to convict. Did you hear me? You are called to testify, not to convict. L. Scott Kellum, so thankful for his commentary on this section. Here's what he wrote. He said, in light of the hostility of the world in the previous passage, the role of the Spirit in convicting the world is welcome information. The advantage to the disciples then is that the Spirit is the prosecuting attorney in the court of the human heart, effectively arguing the truth against the world. Look in the passage how the Spirit convicts. The Spirit convicts um, through conviction of sin. Uh, the Spirit is the one in his power that can bring a guilt and shame. The, <clears throat> the Spirit convicts us of the places in our life where, where there is a need to change and even where there's uh, uh, realities of our lostness and the consequences of sin. And the Spirit in that shows the world their need for Jesus and the need to believe and submit to him. Conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness. Because Jesus is going to the Father, as it says in that, in that uh, part, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, what's revealed here is that the Spirit is going to use the righteousness, the right living of God's people to convict people of righteousness. The, the life of righteousness, even being slaves to righteousness, when people see this authentically from our lives, it causes them to ask questions. Who are you following? Why are you living like that? And because Jesus is gone, he's wanting this to play out and work itself out through us. But the conviction, the bringing it to bear on people's minds, that's a work of the Spirit. Then, conviction of judgment. I love this one because it says, because the ruler of this world is judged. 
The ruler of this world he's referring to is Satan, the enemy of our souls, the one that is the ruler over all of the realities of the world and every aspect of the world because Satan is the ruler is focused on deceiving and keeping people under the reign of the world. And the gospel message unveils that Satan has been condemned. He has been judged through what Jesus accomplished. Isn't that encouraging, church? Like, like it's been, he's been judged. He has no power except the power that we give him. All power has been taken from him through what Jesus accomplished in the gospel. And so all of this can help you understand and know that because he's condemned, I don't want to live under the ruler of this world. I don't want to live under the reign of the world. I want to find another king in another kingdom. And it can lead you to the gospel. Picture the courtroom scene where the Holy Spirit is the is the prosecuting attorney. And we all, we all have maybe pictures in our minds of these like, you know, scenes of a movie where there's this dramatic work of a prosecuting attorney and somebody comes up on the stand and they've got an accusation against someone or something that they're trying to do. And, and it's those dramatic moments when the prosecuting attorney through the questions and the evaluation reveals to everyone that the person on the stand is a deceiver and a liar and the deception is exposed. And suddenly, whether the jurors or the judge, their eyes are open to the, to the truth. And the Holy Spirit then in, perseveres to bring conviction as you see Satan exposed on the stand. And you go, I don't want to follow him anymore. And you recognize and realize and your eyes are open to the reality and the truth of Jesus, the perfect judge. Conviction is never your work. Some of you even hearing that this morning, it should cause you just to like be able to breathe a little bit deeper. There should be a sense of a weight taken off your shoulders. We have to correct wrong language in our, in, in, in our testimonies. No human person led you to faith in Christ. People share testimonies. People Share the gospel. People teach God's word. People testify to the truth. Only the Holy Spirit led you to Christ. Only the Holy Spirit opened blind eyes to the reality of the gospel. And only the power of the Holy Spirit convicts your hard heart to submit to the ways of Christ. Can we agree on that this morning? Like Jesus is explaining that to us right here because it's important. It's never your work, conviction. Our move to the world is to really two very simple things. We pray for the Spirit to move and we witness in a compelling way. We talked about this last week. That our, that our witness would be clear and they'd be caring and it would, be, it would have a depth to it and a consistency to it. But we, we, we pray that the Spirit would move, we witness in a compelling way, and then we pray that the Spirit would move. And then we witness in a compelling way. And then we pray that the Spirit would move again and again and again. Pray, witness, pray, witness. That's our engagement with the lost world. When someone responds to the conviction of the Spirit and puts their faith in Christ, who gets the praise? Not us. The Spirit of God. 
if someone doesn't respond to the Spirit and refuses to put their faith in Christ, who, who should you seek to bring about conviction? The Spirit of God. If we get this wrong, what happens in the church, and I see it all over, is we, we move to one of two extremes. It's a, it's a, it's a classic overcorrect. Sometimes what people do in the church is they move to this place where they're like, you know what? I'm going to raise my intensity level and I'm just going to like yell until I'm heard. And maybe, maybe I just need to come stronger with the call to come to faith in Christ. And you just feel like more energy is going to bring about change. Many of us have been frustrated here. Many of us have been around people that have frustrated us here. And we believe that that is going to convince someone. But if you have to talk someone into it, you're manipulating them. And they might change because they respect or just want to get you off of their back. But they haven't really experienced Holy Spirit-led conviction. The other extreme we can move to is an extreme over here where we're just like, well, it's just not my responsibility. I don't have any role in it. That was hard, not received, I'm out. And just sort of tap out and drift away and miss opportunities to do what God has called you to do. To testify, to teach, to point to the reality of the gospel, to have a testimony that's good and compelling. But trust the spirit to convict the world. Pray, witness, pray, witness, pray, witness. Treasure the work of the Spirit. Find joy in the fact that all the weight is off your shoulders. Like you're not responsible for the conviction. You're just responsible to faithfulness and to trust the Spirit. That's outside, trust the Spirit to convict the world. Then inside, talk to the Spirit like a guide. Verse 12 starts this whole section Jesus has many things that he wants to communicate to the disciples, but they can't bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Whatever he hears will speak. He'll declare to you things that are to come. I mean, all sorts of, what does this mean? And how do I understand this? This is, the intention of this section is to strengthen the church. To strengthen you and me as disciples in it. Again, I, I found... Um, uh, L. Scott Kellum's uh, commentary is so helpful here. Look at this. Great clarity on what I want to say, the heart, the foundation of what I want to say in this section. Uh, wh- whether it is the illumination of Scripture, the inner promptings of the Spirit, or an application of the preaching moment, God has not lost his ability to know the future and share it through the Spirit when the need arises. This must, of course, be cross-referenced with the teaching in the rest of Scripture as we discern a biblical theology of revelation. So the Spirit of God still wants to work in me, communicate some things to me, but it's cross-referenced or protected from error within the truth of God's Word. At Christ Church, we believe that the Holy Spirit still works actively in the lives of believers, actively, in powerful and miraculous ways. So let me just, I mean, there's so much detail about this in all of God's word. Let me just ask some questions to clarify where we stand on some of this. Do we believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased in any way? No, we don't. And there's some realities in 1 Corinthians that clarify some of that and we wrestle with some of that, how it applies in the context of a public worship or whatever, but we do not believe they've ceased. Can the Spirit heal? 
Yes. Can the Spirit give you a warning of something that's coming? Yes, we believe that. Can the Spirit give you a specific word of encouragement or correction for someone else? Yes. Should you listen to the Spirit as you read the Word to give insight and specific conviction for your life? Absolutely. Does the Spirit empower you for ministry, sometimes in ways that are beyond your own maturity or experience? Yes, we believe that. Do we believe that all of these things are normative all the time? No, we don't. Will the Holy Spirit guide you to violate the Word of God? Never. Will the Holy Spirit lead you to stand up in the middle of a service, declare you're the second coming of Isaiah, and begin to share something with the whole church? No. We'll have another response to that. I wouldn't say welcoming would be the word I would use. Should you assume every leading from the Holy Spirit is absolutely true without consulting other mature Christians? No. God has given us in his word, and and, and it's alluded to here in this passage, a comprehensive guide for life and godliness. We should trust his word. We should love his word. I'm I'm not placing the word outside of the work of God's spirit, but the Holy Spirit is alive in you as a guide. And I think the Holy Spirit loves to work in ways at times to illuminate the scriptures and to, to help you discern how to apply that to your life moment by moment. To downplay the power of the Holy Spirit is to our own demise and sometimes even frustrate our own faith. Learn to talk to the Spirit like a guide. Be ready to listen. In, in the world of travel today, travel guides are almost extinct. Nowadays, when you go to some of these like famous sites around the world that you can go to, and um, you, you just show up, and then there's like there's like a little QR code, and you 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 get that on your phone, and then there's like narration as you walk through these sites. Right? Anybody experience things like that? And, and guides are almost extinct. This idea. In in 2014, as some of you know, Amy and I um, had the opportunity on a mission trip to travel to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Now, now, Malaysia, not a country I know. I didn't know the culture. I, I knew it was a Muslim country. I wasn't sure sort of what um, things I needed to be aware of there. I showed up there and the traffic was, I can't even describe it. It was just insane. I was like, I'm clearly not driving. And uh, in addition to that, I didn't know what was going to be safe direction or unsafe direction. I knew nothing. It was an intimidating city to land in. Almost the entire time we were there, we had a guide with us. We had a guide. And the guide's purpose was beautiful. They helped us know the direction to find places of safety versus places that would not be safe. They helped us find places to visit that were awesome and beautiful and and kind of amazing to put your head around. And, and then there were places that they led us away from that would have been boring or a distraction. They, they also led us towards some phenomenal food and they led us away from food that would have made us sick for days. It was, uh, the guide was so valuable. Talk to the Spirit of God as a guide. It's not, it's, it doesn't require a QR code. Um, He's there for you all the time. Ask the Spirit to guide you in miraculous and powerful ways. But when you ask, learn to listen to the Spirit. 
You've got to find space, church. I just, I, in our world today, increasingly, as I think about some of the things that we're going to be doing in training studies, as I think about leading you in discipleship, I'm just telling you, as, as, as your pastor, even in my own life, I feel this. I come back to times again and again like this in messages where I'm like, if we cannot craft and protect time for silence and solitude. It will be the number one thing that holds back the work that God wants to do in your life for his glory. Do you guys see that? It's one of the greatest works of the world today to simply distract us all the time. Even with things that would be neutral. The only way that we learn and cultivate an ability to listen to the Spirit of God is to find space to listen in silence and solitude. In prayer, Bible opened, believing that the power of the Spirit is real, believing that upside, trusting Him in the outside, but asking Him to guide you inside. Listening, watch this, listening for yourself and others. Don't forget the mission. The mission is love God, love others. It has revolutionized my heart and mind at times in in being involved in ministry to approach my time with God daily and then even moment by moment, not just thinking about myself, but thinking about others. I mean, mean, this this idea, this challenge of getting to silence and solitude, it's, it's making it difficult for human relationships, not to mention the fact that God's like, will you stop long enough to hear me? you stop long enough to hear me? Too often we just rush. We read the Bible. We pray through our urgent prayer requests that tend to be really focused on me and then on with your day. And we fail to enter into these extended times of silence and solitude and learn to listen. So I'm believing and I'm trusting the power of the Spirit to be the one that convicts you. I'm trusting that you'll make your way to silence and solitude. And if you do, Let me give you some exhortations, some encouragement to help you discern the Spirit's guidance. It'll help you listen better. First, a flesh addressed. When you get to silence and solitude, some of you are like, it's so hard. Because when you get to silence and solitude, you realize some of the voices that are speaking to you are not the Spirit. It's your own flesh, it's your own desires, it's your own hurt, it's your own pain, and those voices are screaming at you. And so part of entering into silence and solitude is you get to silence and solitude, but then you realize it's not silent in my head. And in this, we've got to address the flesh. What are things that I'm wanting? What are things that I'm desiring? Why is there impatience there? Why did I respond in anger in that moment? And just start to address that there's aspects of my flesh, my sinfulness that has produced this. Then, second, enemy suppressed. If God judged him already, and we already have victory over the enemy, we've got to, in silence and solitude, go, I'm not gonna believe that lie any longer. And it might still come at me, but I'm gonna put a sort of hand on me. I'm suppressing you in this moment because I wanna hear from God. And I want to hear what he has to say to me. And so I'm going to suppress, I'm going to hold that back, I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God would even protect me in that. Enemy suppressed spirit request. Spirit, as I, as I move to God in all of his fullness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a Spirit, would you illuminate the scripture that's in front of me? And we're going to talk about that one next. And, uh, and, and then would, would you just work in my heart? I'm listening. Would you help me listen? I believe you are here and present. I believe there's power within me through the work of the Holy Spirit, and I want all of it. Then fourthly, God's word opened. 
the established truth of God's word is sort of a foundation. So upon me wanting to listen, I've got my head right, I've got my focus right, and now I've got my foundation right. And the guidelines of this word, I want to have it opened. I want to be consulting it and knowing it more deeply. And then community consulted. There's a check in me that goes, okay, there's something that I think God's laid on my, uh, my, my heart and mind. And if it's like, hey, I feel like God's calling me to share this scripture with somebody, and I'm just going to be like, hey, I just was thinking about you this morning and I wanted to offer this to you. Great, go ahead. More of that throughout our church. But if it's something that seems a bit more out there, a bit more like kind of crazy, miraculous, supernatural, it's great. It's so important to consult with community. There's times, there's been something that I felt like God's leading me to and I've presented that and somebody's looked at me like, did you think about this, this, this? And I was like, no, I didn't. Consult God's people. Get a broad, balanced counsel, especially on big moves in your life. Check these things that you're hearing from the Holy Spirit. Test them against the word. And within these exhortations... Let the Spirit guide freely and powerfully. Church, listen, listen, hear me. Like, like, what would it look like in the culture of our community together if we believed that the Spirit was powerful enough to lead and guide us? Here's what I promise you would happen. Conviction would happen so much more often and deeply in our hearts and lives. I think there'd be a spirit in worship that we would come in and we would just be crying out to God, falling to our knees, uh, our eyes aware of what God's convicting us of in regards to our sin. And I believe not only personally, but imagine what it would look like in our communities with one another, our friendships, in our student ministries, and in our community groups, and in our households, if we opened God's word and prayed before God going, God, is there something about this word that I've read this morning that's not only to convict me, but also could be an encouragement to someone else? And we open our heart and our mind enough to recognize that God could be leading us in that way recently, within this last year, I could give you multiple uh, situations. It's not normative. It's not happening every day in my life, but it's happening. There was, there was a man in our church who called me. I think it was within, within the last year. And he said, hey, can we meet for breakfast? And it was kind of last second. And I was like, sure. And, you know, kind of, kind of pastor, when you've had experience in ministry, you're like, uh-oh. Oh, no. Like, this is an emergency or something really difficult is happening in his life. And this man met with me right over in Brooklyn Bagels and, and he just said, hey, I woke up this morning and I was reading this passage and, and I was reading this section of scripture and I, was, I immediately thought of you. And I just reached out and I was like, man, if, if he's available to meet this morning, I'm gonna meet with him, I'm gonna share with him. And I was and he shared. And I can tell you that that very morning there was something that I was wrestling with. And that verse just undid me. I just I started weeping in front of him. I was like, you had no clue. There's no way you could have had any clue. And you know what, at the end of the day, it wasn't even about the man. It was about God working through the man to say to me, I love you. More of that in our church. More of that in our church. More of stepping in and believing that there's a power in the spirit and reading and praying to hear from God and asking him to, to give you words to speak into your uh, over your own life or into other people's lives, what would that look like in our culture? It would be a sweet, miraculous sense of God at work. 
And I promise you the lost world, the lost world will be convicted by that. I want to give you time to process before I pray. Where are you this morning? Some of you, your, your perception of, of even the faith has been father-son, father-son. It got to the resurrection and it stopped. And if you read past the resurrection, you know that in Acts chapter 2 and 3, you see Jesus sending his spirit into the world and you see the movement of the church extend out from Jerusalem. We're still in the midst of that work and God's spirit is still at work. All you have to do is ask by faith for Jesus Christ to come into your life and you can not only have a Christ and the work of Christ over your life, but you can also have the spirit in your heart, the power of that spirit. Some of you are honestly, your actions, you know that you're doing what the Bible says, you're grieving the spirit with your actions and repentance is a way to sort of clean out the things that get in the way that allow you to not hear God has clearly because the flesh is high and the work of the enemy is high in your life. Some of you are unaware or nervous or confused or reserved. But what God wants us to do is to treasure the work of the Spirit. The upside is to testify to the power of the Spirit. Outside is to trust the Spirit to convict the world. And inside is to talk to the Spirit as a guide. That's my heart for you and my heart for us. Let's pray together. God, there's a relief in praying out of this message because of what, I've, what we've studied together. The work of conviction is not mine. The work of conviction is yours. And so, Spirit, I ask that you would have your way with these friends and these saints. That you'd have your way with the people who've come to our church week after week after week and have not yet bowed their knee to you, Jesus. Spirit of God, have your way. Convict them in your time in whatever way you would desire. Father, help me and others in ministry to get out of the way. Help us to feel the weight of the pressure that sometimes we put on ourselves to be completely eliminated and alleviated from our shoulders and let us simply trust you to convict. And God, would we, would we find not just a beauty and a strength in, 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 in talking to you as our guide, but we'd find the fruit of that guidance would just delight our hearts in the gospel and in the kingdom of God. You are a good God. Lead us. Lead us, God. Teach us and train us. Help our, our, our spirits to, and our flesh to yield. Let us suppress the enemy. Let us speak to you and listen. Let the word of God open. And community around us for safety and protection. And God, in that, would you have your way? Would you speak just like you've spoken? Would you lead us lovingly as a shepherd? who you promise, God, that the sheep will know your voice. And I thank you for your spirit being that voice. Help us to listen, God, and let us respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.